Hello Mosaic, happy Sabbath to you. Um, I hope you're doing well and that your worship is being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, today I have the great honor of introducing our guest speaker, Dr. Patrick Crayer, who's here with his wife, Joan. Um, I met Dr. Crayer through my doctoral program and um, I, I learned from him uh, one of the, the most important classes I think that I absorbed um, like a sponge the things that were taught in it. Uh, the class was called The Mission of God. And Dr. Crayer um, and his wife Joan were missionaries in Afghanistan and in Pakistan for almost 30 years. And a great deal of that ministering uh, to the Pashtun people, um, a people group um, who you might not have heard of, um, but a people group uh, who greatly need the gospel. And after almost 30 years of serving on the field, uh, the last eight years, uh, he was the director of the U.S. Office of InterSERP. It's an organization uh, that trains and equips and sends um, missionaries and, and focuses on reaching the places that are least reached, uh, places in Asia and uh, places in the Arab world. And currently he's involved in training and mentoring those who hope to go uh, to live and serve in the areas where the gospel is least present in the Muslim world, in the Buddhist world, in the Hindu world. Um, he's training, mentoring, and loving brothers and sisters who would go overseas. Um, obviously, he's given his life to serve the people, the ethne um, of this world, the various different nations and the people who don't have the gospel. And I just thought that he would be the perfect person to come and to preach to us about this topic of peoples and, and nations and ethne and the multitude in the book of Revelation as we're going through it. And so today um, we have Dr. Patrick Crayer here. I'm just so grateful for him and all the things that I learned. I really learned a lot from him and I wish that we can have a lot more time uh, with him. But today he's here to bring us the word of God. And so I want to introduce him and want you pray for him as he does his work in bringing us the word of God from Revelation. Thank you, Pastor Dave, and to all of you at Mosaic here. Um, it's just an incredible privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you. We're looking at Revelation chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to focus in on verses 9 and 10. Oops, sorry. Uh, I thought I had this right. Um, and um, so in the context, uh, chapter 6, the the seals have been, you know, being broken open, and we've gotten to in at the beginning at the, you know, we the sixth seal has been broken, and we get come into chapter seven, and you see the hundred and forty-four thousand, and then we get to this passage, Revelation chapter seven verses nine and ten. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. This verse it means uh, a lot to my wife and I, and we want to pack, unpack some of the reason why that is. But just think about these verses, just these two verses. Here we're given an unbelievably beautiful, glorious vision of the future. 
God wants to, us to know where he is taking this earth. This vision, along with the other visions in this book, are there to encourage us that God is at work in our world, even with so much seeming dysfunction. So we shouldn't be discouraged. We shouldn't be discouraged by the dysfunction that we see. God knows what he is doing. And he knows where history is going. Now, if we had been subsistence farmers, common laborers, or slaves in the first century, with very little or virtually no personal agency to determine the course of our lives, <clears throat> which actually describes about 95 to 98% of everyone living in the first century, these visions would have helped us to hang on in faith and endure all that life was throwing at us because we would know that God loved us and that he was moving the world forward toward this goal. This is where God is going. Now, for those of us in the 21st century, we who have an immense amount of personal agency, more so than most people in all of human history, and even more so than most in the world today, the visions of this book, and this vision in particular, call us to rise and align ourselves with what God is doing, and to play our part in his global project of redemption and reconciliation. In the light of this call to align ourselves with what God is doing, uh, let's unpack these two verses and let's see what God is doing. Let's see where history is moving. And then let's ask him to lead us forward as we commit ourselves to participate with him in what he is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to look into these verses and see what you have for us. Just look into your word and to, and to get a deeper glimpse of you and your heart, your passion for, for this world. Lord, we look to you. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may see what you see. It's a work of your Holy Spirit. We can't make that happen, but we can ask for it to happen. And so we turn to you with that petition. In Jesus' name, amen. John 3.16 was one of the verses that God used in my life to open my heart to him. I came to realize why Jesus died through that verse. And I came to realize how much God loved me. God loved me so much that he gave his only son. Now, John wrote that God loves the world so much, which means he loves everyone. Yet at the beginning of my journey with the Lord, <clears throat> I understood this verse in a deeply personal way. And clearly, every one of us needs to understand how intimately God loves us as an individual. He loves you and me so much 
that he's aware of everything about us. He even knows the number, the exact number of the hairs of our head. And for those of us who have hair to comb, uh, we know that number changes with each and every comb, combing of our hair. So right from the start of my journey, I became aware of how much God loved me, but I also knew that God loved people around me. And so I was quick to share my faith with everyone I knew, with all my friends. But over time, God wanted to expand my horizons. So he drew Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter three to my attention. And if you were to turn quickly to Ephesians chapter three at verse 16, you would see that Paul says this, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Notice how Paul wants each and every one of us to be rooted and grounded in love, in the love that the Father and Jesus has for us. That's what attracted me to this prayer. But notice, Paul doesn't stop there. He says this in 3.18, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, Paul is praying that we would be able to comprehend the depth, or the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. What does that mean? Well, I think, you know, we all have to look at this and think and pray what it means, but I think that the height and the depth is speaking of God's love for us personally. As the psalmist says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards us. Now, the breadth and the length describe the wideness of God's love. Here in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, we see how, God, how wide God's love is. John saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. God wants people from every nation, from every tribe, every people, every language to be with him in eternity. You know, this is not a new thought in scripture. The wideness of God's love surfaces in the very beginning of the book. God created all humans in his like, image and likeness. And then when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, what did God say to Abraham? In verse three, he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Did you hear that? God said, in you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Talk about the breadth of God's love. All the families. God made a similar point through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah in speaking about the suffering servant in chapter 49. Isaiah declares, and now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be a servant, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. 
I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Echoing this commission, this in the commissioning of his church in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. Now this is the breath of God's love. Do you see it? Now, this is not something we need to see just with our physical eyes. Look at Paul's prayer again in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul prays that we would be, we would have the power to comprehend with all the saints. So this is something that's accessible to all of us. What is the breadth and the length, the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now that seems a little bit, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? The word know in verse 19 is not an intellectual knowing with our heads, it's an experiential knowing. It's a knowing that lifts us up into the very heart of God, where we feel in a very finite way what God himself is feeling. That's kind of powerful. And Paul doesn't, how does he end this verse? He says that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Try to wrap your head around that one. Filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Jesus wants to do in us. This is something that God wants us to experience, but it only happens as we seek the Lord for it. And it comes in degrees as we offer and re-offer ourselves to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. He then, as we pray, he works this love into our hearts. And he weaves his love into our heart, and as he weaves his love into our hearts, that changes us. It changes the way we see ourselves in the world. And it changes the way we live out our lives in the world. Now, when we put Acts 1-8 with Revelation 7, 9, and 10 together, God's purpose becomes very clear. He wants us. He wants to spread out his people that's us, all over the earth so that we can be his witnesses, so that we can be the visible expressions of his love. You know, words are cheap, but a life that witnesses is costly. And the, that life makes God's love tangible to everyone around. Now, how has the church done with this commission? Well, for 18 centuries, um, the Mediterranean European churches were somewhat limited in their understanding of this. The Nestorian church, on the other hand, which was based in Persia, they did amazingly well. The Nestorians took the, took the gospel into Central Asia, South Asia, and East Asia. They even planted a church in Seoul, Korea by 650. However, the Nestorian church, 
was always weak, and their light eventually faded. Now, if we look at how the church did overall in history, we see that it took 18 centuries for practicing Christians to go from 0% to 2.5% in 1900. It took practicing Christians 70 years to go from 2.5% to 5% by 1970. It took 30 years so by the year 2000, the church had grown from 5% to 11.5%. Today, there is one practicing Christian for every nine people worldwide who are, evil, who are either nominal or non-Christian. So praise the Lord. In the last 120 years, the global church has done fairly well. But the job isn't done. The vision of Revelation 7, 9, and 10 includes people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the primary challenge that remains before us is this. The peoples of the, the world religions, Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus, they um, by far stand outside the reach of the church. 86% of all Muslim, Buddhists, and Hindus do not personally know a Christian. That's any kind of Christian. Could be a nominal Christian. 86%. Muslim, Buddhists, and Hindus make up 3.6 billion people. So the question I have is, why is this significant that they don't have a personal relationship with a Christian? For those of you who are sitting here in the church, and those of you at home, how many of you came to faith by reading a book or listening to a podcast or watching something on television? Anybody here? For those of you who are not here, that's zero. No one raised their hands. How many of you came to faith because somebody explained the faith to you? All of us in this room. And 90, 98 to 99% of all those who walk with the Lord came to faith because they had a personal relationship with a believer or a set of believers who explained the faith to them. I grew up Catholic. I went to church every Sunday. I even went to seminary in ninth grade to study to be a priest. I had no idea what the gospel meant till I, I left seminary. I started in ninth grade in seminary. I went to Florida State University, my second roommate in college. He became a believer and started sharing his faith with me. That's when I first heard the gospel. I needed some, I had the Bible. I read it. I didn't understand anything really until it was explained to me that one Wednesday night in March 1972. And that night, I gave my life to the Lord. I needed someone to explain the faith to me. Most people, most everyone needs that. And so if 95%, because it really boils down to 95% of all Muslim, Buddhists, and Hindus who do not even know a Christian, if they don't know a Christian, how are they going to come to faith? Well, it's not possible because God has clearly let us know that he's not going to do the job all alone. He's called us, his people, to partner with, with him in what he's doing in the world. He wants to work through his church. So we're the ones that are the problem, not God. Let, what really brings this story home to me is the story of Nabil Qureshi. How many here know of Nabil Qureshi? One, Nabil Qureshi was born in New York City, <laughs> just, just over the river. And um, he came to faith when he was in his 20s. And now he was born and raised here. 
His mom had lived here for 25 years. She had never met a Christian. Nabil, her son, was the first Christian she ever met. So it doesn't matter that they're here in the United States or if they're overseas. The majority, the vast majority of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus do not interact with believers. So they live right here among us and we, the church, don't really see them. So it's not just seeing with them, them with our physical eyes because actually I just filled up my gas tank just before coming to church. And the guy that was working in the gas station here in Jersey, New Jersey, you don't fill up your own tank. Somebody does it for you. The guy who filled up my tank, I, I asked, where are you from? He was from Morocco. What believer does he know? Who is going to sit down with him so that he can experience and see the gospel lived out in front of him? I don't know. But we can see that God's heart is that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, are standing before him on that day. Isn't that vision wonderful to you? That vision is just so wonderful to me. Don't you want to be aligned with that vision and partner with God to see that vision become a reality? Jesus is the Lord and he is the one who directs his people, but Jesus is not someone who controls and manipulates. He governs through love and grace. And he will only direct those who want, who offer themselves to be directed. So we have to offer ourselves to him to be directed. And he's the one who knows how, where we will fit in in his master plan to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation come to him. So you don't have to be afraid of offering yourselves to him. He's not going to you know, disregard who you are and how he's made you. He's actually going to take the gifting and everything that he put within you, and he's going to ensure that it flourishes. So you never have to be afraid of offering yourselves to the Lord. And I can tell you, there will be untold blessings you could never have imagined when you offer yourselves to the Lord to serve him and you offer yourselves to the people around you and you welcome Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus into your, into your lives. But to be able to do that, we have to allow the Spirit to weave into our hearts the love that God has for the people around us. The Spirit of God wants us to know experientially the length and the depth of the length and the width and the, the height and the depth of God's love. And when you do get in, involved in the lives of others, just understand, it's not a bed of roses. There are, you know, with any rose, there's thorns in the bush. <laughs> but it's still, for the beauty of the rose, it's worth the thorns. Jesus was the faithful witness. We read that in Revelation chapter 1. He's calling us 
to rise up and be his faithful witnesses, taking up the challenge of what it means to rule and reign with him in this world, because that's really what we're doing. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, it says that he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Whether you realize it or not, you are ruling and reigning with Christ. But we are ruling and reigning with him in his suffering love. There's so much to say about this. But let me close with this point that Paul makes in Philippians. He says, I regard everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And this is what we don't like to pray. And the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. But Jesus doesn't want us to, to suffer, you know, too much. He wants us to be part and parcel of what he is doing in the world. So that, that that word that he gave to Abraham and that this vision in Revelation 7, 9 and 10 may become a reality. That before the throne on that day, there are people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Let us pray. Oh Lord, this is an incredible invitation to us. Help us to see this vision. Help us, oh Lord, Help us to offer ourselves. Help us to pray the prayer of Ephesians 3 that we might know this love that surpasses knowledge. And may that love, as we become to have it woven into our hearts, may it change the way we live, may it change the way we see ourselves in this world. Amen.